Once upon a time, there was a king. Now I haven't even told you any more than the story. It says, is this a good king or a bad king? See, there are, both, of, both answers are correct. You're right. You don't know, so you have to guess good or bad. You can't be a good king. So if I reviewed with you and said, once upon a time, there was a good king, bad king, if you'd ever stop and think about so many of the once upon a time fairy tale kind of stories, like the three pigs and the wolf. We can only guess that the three pigs represented good and the wolf's bad. A little Red Riding Hood. I guess she's good and the wolf's bad, unless you're a wolf fan. You can think of Star Wars. Yeah, we've got the white and the black going together there. You see that? They even dressed uh, the guys, uh, warriors there. That uh, We just pick up like Darth Vader. Of course, Luke Skywalker. Of course, it turns out at the end that Darth Vader was actually what? Yes, I am your father. Yeah, so he... Uh, but you see this constantly in once upon a time kind of stuff. So good versus evil. Now, I'm going to tell you some king stories tonight, but uh, let's review first. We started off the very first night I showed you all these characters come flying in and everybody from Johnny Depp to, you know, Tolkien Donkey. And then, what was our first story about? A guy by the name of... Balaam was the guy that started with the talking donkey. Matter of fact, if you take that into our characters, the talking donkey, yeah, they did that again in that movie called what? Shrek. So I guess Shrek would be like Balaam. And anyway, the donkey was already cast. Night number two, we went from a talking donkey to big fish, yeah, Jonah. And tonight, I guess we go into number three. So what on earth would tonight's story be? You don't know yet, do you? Let me show you. It concerns this king. Remember, good versus evil, bad versus good. Who would that king be? Anybody want to make a guess? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, you guess. Good guess. King Saul. Nebuchadnezzar. Any other kings that you know? King Solomon. King Nebuchadnezzar. King Saul. King David. There's lots of kings. Well, let's find out which one this king is. Y'all had some good guesses there. Yeah, this is the story of a king gone wild. So this must be the story of in Daniel, and that must be Nebuchadnezzar. That was the king. Good. Okay. You reviewed well. Now let me ask you this. Think back to our once upon a time, remember the stories, I'm going to put a king in. Well, oftentimes in kids' stories or in uh, children's fairy tales, the king is represented by what kind of animal? Usually a donkey's not a king. I'm just going to... A lion. So let me check out these couple stories right here. Here's one story that you'd probably recognize. What a great... That's the Wizard of Oz. Again, good versus evil. You've got the wicked witch and you got a good witch. It's okay. you got a house that lands on the bad witch and you got... Okay, from then on, you got flying monkeys going against these three crew, you know, these three men crew that goes in. Of course, he's leading in. Good versus evil. Okay? So that's the cowardly line. It wasn't real. Let me show you another line that wasn't so cowardly. Again, a children's like it'd be like a once upon a time kind of story. Check him out. Oh, I have a tough time watching that because I see Jesus in that movie. Because if you've ever seen this before, the line gives his life to render his friends free. Hmm. That's the line the witch in the wardrobe. Yeah, Chronicles of Narnia. It's okay. Who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia? C.S. Lewis. Yeah, so we got a cowardly line to the left and a very brave line that would give his life to the right. So again, sort of opposites. Now, if you want to know a little bit more about lines, though, 
before I tell you the king Nebuchadnezzar because he was sort of like a roaring lion. He thought he could take on everybody. I got to get some help. If I could get an expert in lines that, well, I don't have uh, a lot of knowledge in lines, so uh, I'm going to ask. Andy, here, you can come out. Andy's uh, actually been to South Africa, and he's actually uh, seen some lines up close, and uh, so I guess I'll let the. Here, you want to get this? Uh, if you all will be quiet, it's not like you're OD on sugar, so uh, <laughs> please be quiet and listen. You want to so you can hear? I want to know my Can you do this? Hello? Yeah, right, we can try and do this. And Leanne's going to help me out and show some pictures. What's today's verse Paul's got up in the back? Everybody turn around and look at the back. First Peter 5.8 says, there's a slight typo, but we'll look over it. As a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may to devour. So it's King James there. Who's that talking about? Not yeah. the devil, Satan, not, not God. In other cases, they talk about God as the, the lion, the king of Judah. But in other uh, cases in the Bible, here in First Peter, they're talking about the lion as the devil. Well, uh, to give you another real-life story, we talked about other man who was ate by a whale off the coast of the Falklands. Now we're going to tell you one that takes place. Now, he was eaten by a whale. Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. He was swallowed by a sperm whale. This is in Kenya. Uh, Kenya is in on what continent? Africa. There we go. Uh, actually, uh, Leanne's older sister, Ruth, is in Kenya right now. And she's there uh, doing missions work. We've been around there before. But Kenya is a nice place. Very picturesque sunset. But they also have uh, different problems that occur. And this one took place in 1898. So it's over 100 and, what, 13 years ago or so now. But uh, the problem started out in the spring of 1898. Now, is it hot or cold in December in South Africa? It's hot. It's hot because, see, they're south southern hemisphere, so it's the opposite. Also, the uh, toilets will flow counterclockwise in the southern hemisphere. Uh, so if you're ever there and you want to flush a toilet there and flush one here, you can see the difference. We're going to tell you about this. This is a picture of Lieutenant Colonel John Patterson. He's a member of the Royal Engineers. If you're an engineer, what do you do? You build things. If you're an electrical engineer, you build electronic things. If you're a civil engineer, you build civil things, uh, like buildings and bridges. Ian, you're a history person, right? Yeah, so I'm picking on him. This is a historic photo. Lieutenant Colonel John Patterson was a royal engineer with the British. He was sent in December of 1898 to build a bridge and run a railroad across South Africa. Uh, they encountered a problem. What was the problem, do you think? Lions. What do lions normally go after when you see National Geographic films and all? Zebra and gazelle and stuff like that. They don't often... Okay, we got enough answers. But... They don't have often go after people, but in this case they did. And it got to be a problem, so much so that the people who are working on the bridge started to run away. They made a movie about this later in Hollywood like they do. It's called Ghost in the Darkness. They called one line the ghost and the other one the darkness. And pretty scary stuff. They would chase after. Uh, they say, well, the kids, you know, four or five men, five, ten, fifteen men. At night, they would do odd things. They started noticing people disappear, so they went into tents at night, put fires and fences all the way around. Inside the tents, lions aren't, aren't normally this active. They said the lions would come up underneath the tents, and you see a big lion fall. People would be asleep inside the tent. They would go up underneath the tent and jerk people out at night. So they were disappearing at night and in the daytime. So people didn't wor want to work on the bridge. So this royal engineer, uh, not normally a game hunter, had to become one and had to hunt down these lions. 
and after a long, long time from March to December, so nine months that they went on sort of a killing spree, he finally killed one. So what's this picture here? He's stuck. You say it doesn't look too too bad, too big. There were two of them. Remember, this is the first one they killed. A few months later, they got the other one. How many people do you think these lions killed? Twenty-three. Twenty-three. It turns out uh, lions are pretty territorial, and usually two males don't travel together. That's an odd, you know, sort of freak of nature. They had these two males that were traveling together. Also, like saw the picture before, they usually have big manes. These lions didn't, due to sort of genetic engineering. The briars and all around the countryside ripped their manes off, so it looks like a lioness, a female lion, but it's actually a male lion. And they usually don't hunt for sort of pleasure. They would kill what they need to eat and go back home. They found out, they tracked them to their den, went inside. They counted the skulls, and this is just the skulls that they found, not other things. They accounted for a somewhat 158 men had been killed by these two lions. Normally lions will kill one person and go home. These two lions accounted for over 150 people. And how do I know about these? Well, it's part of British history, and any history interests me. That's what I study. But my wife and I went to Chicago in the Fields Museum. So these are actually closer than we think. So here's another picture Leanne will show. The two lions were finally killed by Colonel Patterson. Stuffed. He used them as, uh, as rugs in his house for a long time, but they were finally sold to Chicago Fields Museum. And these are them. Uh, you say, well, they're stuffed, yes. But these are the two lions. I thought that was pretty scary. So white, as you see it, is how I saw it, through the glass, like this. So these two things are accounted for killing hundreds of men. And you say, well, they're stuffed, yeah. The skulls off to the side, those are their skulls. So if you just imagine those teeth there are the ones that have counted for death. It's like if you see a gun that someone's used to kill somebody or the rifle that shot President Kennedy. These are the skulls that killed thousands or hundreds of people over the course of thousands of days. If you think about all this and you say it's real life and it's scary, it ties into our verse in First Peter that the devil is not just something you can play with and say he's scary and yeah, we can leave it alone. But he's seeking to devour you. And one lion may occasionally kill one person like a shark may kill one person. But the idea here is that they're killing hundreds and the devil's like that. He's killed well over 158 men and women and everybody else. So he's seeking to devour you. So if you think about that, think about the realistic nature of this, and you can also think about the history. It's all the way from Kenya to now Chicago, so pretty close. So you can go there one day. You can look it up on the web and see. But I just said all that to tell you about lines and talk about what our verse for today was, and we go back and talk about kings. And, uh, so there you have it. Okay, thank you. It's... Um So, good and bad, have I made our point yet? These guys were good. A lot of times, somebody said, wow, they are powerful lions. And most people say, wouldn't it be neat to have this little pet? For a while, it'd be good. So, good and bad. I'll give you one more illustration of good and bad. You say, okay, these lions look good, but then they end up killing 158 people. The engineer, he had to become like Nehemiah. He left his white-collar job, so to speak, the butler and became a builder. He left his engineering job and became a hunter. Okay. Last one. Listen to this and I'll tell you about Nebuchadnezzar. Sarah was rich. She had inherited $20 million. Plus she had an additional income of $1,000 a day. That's a lot of money. Any day that's a lot of money, but it was especially immense in the late 1800s. Sarah was well known. She was the belle of New Haven, Connecticut. No social event was complete without her presence. No one hosted a party without inviting her. Sarah was powerful. Her name and money would open almost any more in America. Colleges wanted her donations. 
Politicians clamored for her support. Organizations sought her endorsements. Sarah was rich, well-known, and powerful. Okay, so far, if we're talking about good and bad, what adjective we give her? Good? Yeah, she sounds like a great lady. Let me give you one more adjective for her. She was miserable. Well, that's true. She had worse than money, though. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the love of money, you're right, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not bad in itself. I need it to run a church. If it becomes my God, then I'm in trouble. Because the Bible says we can't serve God and mammon. Mammon's like money. You're right. So it wasn't the money that made her miserable. Let me tell you her short story here. She was well-loved by a lot of people. Good. It's like the lions. In a way, good. But then when they start killing, though, that's bad. It's like the devil. Well, there's no good in him at all. But some people are like, well, he's not so bad. If you could only glimpse at the devil in another way, he's worse than these lions. You'd see him as evil. The cartoon characters portray him as good. You know, he's got a little pitch for it. And, you know, he's the harmless. Sarah right here, she was good. Let me tell you the rest of Sarah. Reminds me a little bit about like the devil. She was rich, well-known, powerful, and miserable. Her only daughter had died at five weeks of age. Then her husband had passed away. So she was left alone with her name, her money, her memories, and her guilt. Why would Sarah feel so guilty? Well, it was her guilt that caused her to move west. A passion for penance drove her to San Jose, California. Her yesterdays imprisoned her todays, and she yearned for freedom. She bought an eight-room farmhouse plus 160 adjoining acres. She hired 16 carpenters and put them all to work on that house. For the next 38 years, craftsmen labored every day, 24 hours a day, to build this mansion. You might want to hear about our mansion, though. Observers were intrigued by the project. Sarah's instructions were more than eccentric. They were a little bit on the eerie side. The design had a macabre touch. Each window had to have 13 panes. Each wall, 13 panels. Each closet, 13 hooks. Each chandelier, 13 globes. The floor plan was ghoulish. Corridors snaked randomly off, leading to nowhere. One door opened up into a blank wall. Another went up top and opened it up to a 50-foot drop-off. One set of stairs led to a ceiling that had no door. Trap doors, secret passageways, tunnels. There was no retirement home for Sarah's future. This is a castle for her past. The making of this mysterious mansion only ended when Sarah died. The completed estate sprawled over six acres, had six kitchens, 13 bathrooms, 40 stairwells, 47 fireplaces, 52 skylights, 467 doors, 10,000 windows, 160 rooms, and a bell tower. Why did Sarah want such a castle? Didn't she live alone? Well, sort of. Those antiquated old houses would take on a new light with this one compared to beside it. Her story might answer she was alone, but then there were visitors, at least on some nights, and the visitors came hmm, at nighttime for a reason. Legend has it that every evening about midnight, a servant would pass through the secret labyrinth that led to the bell tower. He would ring the bell to summon spirits. Sarah would then enter the blue room, a room reserved for her and her nocturnal guest, and together they would linger till 2 a.m. in the morning when the bell would be rung again and Sarah would return to her quarters. The ghost would return to their graves. So who compromised, who comprised this legion of phantoms? 
Well, it was Indians and soldiers killed on the U.S. frontier. They'd been killed by bullets from the most popular rifle in America, the Winchester. Sarah's last name was Winchester. Her husband had invented the Winchester rifle, and she felt guilty that her husband had invented something that had killed hundreds and thousands. What had brought millions of dollars to Sarah Winchester had actually brought death to them. So she spent her remaining years in a castle of regret providing a home for the dead. You can actually see this poltergeist of a place in San Jose right now. It's actually a uh, museum. You can go out there and tour that place. Wow, Sarah, sounds like good. No, she was really bad. She was eerie. I'd feel sorry for someone like that who didn't really have much hope. Sarah's like, hmm. I would not really want to be around her home. I don't want to be around these lines. I don't want to be around, you know, this mansion, if you would call it. Wouldn't that look beautiful right there? Would you like to tour that place up? It looks good. Again, have I made the point good and evil? So this house right here, Sarah's Winchester, Sarah Winchester's home, doesn't it look great? And then you go into it. I wouldn't really want to be around there. It's sort of like going over to pet a lion. Hey, little girl. Like, and then the lion, lion just tears your head off all of a sudden. So it's, okay. Now, would you turn to Daniel chapter 1? Welcome back. Daniel chapter 1. I did hear this, I did hear this by a teacher at, uh, one time when I listened to a, I was at a conference in Lynchburg, Virginia, and this man said, Ed Stetzer was a speaker, and Ed Stetzer said something I still remember. He said, sin is not a pet to tame. Sin is a dragon to slay. You've got to kill sin in your life. You've got to put it to death. I've heard this other example. There's two spirits that live within me. My old nature that was always there, and then my new nature. When I was eight years old, in the month of July, in 1963, that Jesus Christ... The Holy Spirit came into my heart. So now I've got the Holy Spirit and I've got my evil nature. So I've got an old spirit and a new spirit. It's a struggle. One of them wants to do, we've been talking about it so many times, right? We've, one of them wants to do good, one of them wants to do evil. Which one will live in me the strongest? The one that I, the one that I feed. So I want to feed the good spirit and pretty soon this evil egg that has the tendency to show up, okay, I want to starve him to death until he's just barely on life support. There goes the part. Of course, he'll finally die when I get to go to heaven. But some of you, uh, we feed this other one by doing a lot of things, and it's like, oh, now the evil ones come out. In Daniel chapter 1, I want to show you if there's a king that's like this. Now you say, I try to do well. Oh, then you're probably like the Apostle Paul. You don't have to turn to it, but let me just at least give you these. Apostle Paul said in uh, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, excuse me, verse 19. The things that I want to do, the good things I want to do, I what? I don't. But the bad things I don't want to do, I, I do. What a miserable wretch man that I am. Who's going to set me free? Thanks be to God that it is who will set me free. Christ Jesus. And Paul is like, oh, then this good versus evil, does it ever... Yeah, the one you feed is going to win. Paul soon learned how to uh, feed the good... Let me tell you about a king. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to see this pattern in his life. Good, bad, good, bad. You're going to say, oh, I'm almost confused. Hang on. Daniel chapter 1. The story of a king gone wild. Let's read a few verses. If you've got a Bible, it's found in Daniel chapter 1, but I can always give you a few verses up here. It starts off in this. 
In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Again, you don't have to turn to it, but the whole story, if you look in 2 Kings chapter 25, 2 Kings chapter 25, let me tell you a little bit about Nebuchadnezzar. I thought it was in Daniel. Well, most of it is, but uh, Kings also records something. Here it is. The fall of Jerusalem. In the ninth year, Zedekiah's reign on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, there he is, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city, built siege works all around it. And what that means, it's almost like catapults out here. And they're going to build around the city of Jerusalem. He might got a good memory. Who have we been talking about in the morning in chapel? Nehemiah. Nehemiah. He's going to be the culprit right here that tears down the wall that Nehemiah's got to rebuild. So Nebuchadnezzar sets up these siege things outside the city, shoots things in, you know, fiery balls and everything else, and then they just sit back, take s'mores out there and drink a little hot, and they're just waiting on that. You know what they're trying to do inside? They're going to starve these people to death. And finally, the, the food and the rations get lower and lower inside of Jerusalem and tell the people, look, we've got to get out of here. So they burst through the walls in some places, and of course Nebuchadnezzar then captures them. The rest of the thing, they just tear down the walls. They burn the walls, leave them in a big pile, take all these people back as prisoners. Guess who one of the prisoners is? Daniel. So Nebuchadnezzar carts all these people back. Then the city wall was broken through. The whole army fled at night. The gate hmm, between the two walls near the king's garden, everything's torn down. So Nebuchadnezzar captures these guys, and now you've got Daniel. Daniel's one of these guys that exiled out. And Nebuchadnezzar is a smart man. He captures these people. Let me read you the, in Daniel chapter 1. Third year, reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to a temple of his God. Ooh. Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now I might have lost some of you, so let me read that again or I'll put it in another break. He goes in and ransacks the city of Jerusalem, steals things. Tell me something that would really be a special article in your church where you probably observe this. You observe, you eat the bread and the juice, what's called what? Communion. Nebuchadnezzar has no regard for God at all. He breaks into the church, steals all the vessels. It'd be like we've got a special little plate that we put. He steals that. He takes the vessels that they normally put wine in and, and offer communion. Take, drink, this is my blood, this is doing remembrance of me. The preacher would talk. He steals those things. He takes them back and just really uses them in his house. That's not real good. He'd be like, I've stole your Bible, I'm going to use it to prop the window open. So it doesn't mean anything to me, but I don't want you to have it anymore. It sounds, if we're going to choose bad, good, right now he's a pretty bad king. The king ordered Aspenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. Bottom line, I want the top-notch young people that we've exiled out of Jerusalem, and I'm going to put them into Babylonian University. I'm going to give them three years of training, teach them how our wear our clothes, teach them our language, teach them our history. They will be like us, and in a few years, they won't want to go back home, and we have really made our kingdom, our country better because we've kidnapped the best people. One of those people was Daniel. Daniel had a few friends. You might know those guys. Yeah, that's their other names. It's, um, I'll give you the Jewish names, but some of the ones he kidnapped was Daniel, yeah, and then his other friends. And you know about this story. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were their Jewish names. Y'all gave me their 
Babylonian names there. And watch this. When would, when would we lose you right here in this story? First of all, we kidnapped you. Some of you would have got mad. You ain't going to take me from my house. I would learn... If you, here's my first point. Learn when to open your mouth and when to close it. Okay? Sometimes I can witness for God and that's great. Sometimes it's best that I don't say anything right now. Why? Are you ashamed of God? Oh, I'm not ashamed of Jesus at all, but you've got to pick and choose when you want to say something. Be as wise as what, the Bible says? Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Let me... Daniel hadn't blown his top yet. Matter of fact, I think if you blow your top, you don't have much of a patience virtue. So, they can move into the town of Jerusalem. I can imagine grabbing Daniel, fudge him in the back of the pad. You know, big old truck here. Here comes Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And they're so, mm, I'm like, damn, wait a minute, wait a minute, pick your time. Shh, don't get mad at everybody. So they cart them in, bring them into Babylon. Here's first thing. We want to put some different kind of clothes on you. We want to dress in Babylon. Mm-hmm, that would make me mad. But, hadn't blown it yet. So I've kidnapped you. I've changed your clothes. We want you to start talking like we do here. Hmm. As a matter of fact, I don't like your Jewish names. We're going to give you different names. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, you will now become Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel, we're going to give you a name that Belshazzar is sort of... What's Belshazzar mean, really? Dave, what's Belshazzar? It's sort of like an alternative name of who? So since it's Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar is really like a false god that we would almost be sort of like... What's that roaring lion seeking to devour you? You'd say Belshazzar. We're going to call Daniel Belshazzar, so it's almost like Satan. Daniel, here's your new name. Satan. Y'all like it? No, I don't. You can change my clothes. You can make me... Uh, I would have lost it probably right there. Don't call me Satan. We're going to nickname you. How about Lucifer? I, I don't want that. No, thank you. We're going to call you Satan. Hmm. Look at you. Hannah and I, Michelle, Azariah, get their new names. He's going to call Daniel Belshazzar. Might as well just call him the devil. And I bet you his three friends look over and like, you all right, Daniel? They haven't blown their top yet. Well, when did they finally put their foot down on one thing that you would probably not put your foot down? I bet you they're sitting in their dorm rooms now, Malone University. Got the big pennants up. Hannah and I, Michelle, Azariah, they get thrown in, doors locked, and the guard goes down, and then they turn to each other. Daniel, how long are we going to put up with this? I don't know. We just got to think. Think. First of all, I want to stay alive if I can. But I don't want to defile myself. I don't want to go against my God because He is my God. Oh, Lord, You are my God. And I will whatever praise You. I got to praise You. Well, Daniel, when are we going to tell them that we don't agree with them? Carefully. So they give them a little test. We're going to feed you guys some choice food off the king's table. Some wine, some some pork, some fancy foods, and Daniel goes, no, I'm not going to do that. Isn't that a weird thing? We would have probably jumped at that. You mean I get wine and food? Yeah! A lot of people do that. They go off to college. They're a little bit different than they are around the house. Would you agree? Why? Because mom and dad aren't there to tell them. And nobody will see them. And a lot of young people fall to that live state. Nobody's going to know what you do. Daniel, nobody's going to know what you do. Just go ahead and eat that food. I can't. So he goes and God his hands upon Daniel. So Daniel favorably asked, and he asked permission, can you just give us water and vegetables and check us in 10 days and see if we're not stronger than the people? Okay. 10 days later, they look better than the other guys. Daniel has now won the first battle. So the king is probably impressed with Daniel. You are sharp. So now, watch king. Is he ha- Well, first of all, he's mean. He kidnaps him. Now he's nice. It's like schizophrenic. 
And now he's like Daniel. Daniel grows up. He looks good. All his friends are looking good. They're not fighting him back. It's about time to be mean. Chapter 2 rolls around in the second year of the reign. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Ah, had a dream. And here's his dream. His mind was troubled and he couldn't sleep. So he summoned in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to say, tell me what I've dreamed. And they came in and said, okay, we'll try to tell you if you tell us what your dream is. Nope, I'm not going to tell you what my dream is. Okay, we're going to have a tough time interpreting this if you don't tell us what it is. You tell me what it is before I tell you. You tell me and I'll tell you. No, you tell me and I'll tell you. And that could go on. King finally says, enough! I'll kill you if you can't tell me what my dream is. Okay, that's reasonable. We can, we can work with that. Word goes out to Daniel. Is the king good or bad right now? He's crazy. So Daniel and Emma are in there putting together model cars, you know. Ironing some clothes. Knocks on the door. Daniel, guess who is it? The guard from the palace. What do you want? We're going to kill you. Okay, be right there. Somebody else want to get that? Hannah and I want to get the door for me. Hannah and I over. Is that ready to pass out? Uh, I'll get it. Let us in. Not by the hair. No, that's not going to work out here. Hannah and I. Flamethrower. Open the door. I've got it. Now. Yes. No, that would have only bought him time for that one. Hannah and I. Maybe he could take some muffins and put them in a basket with a grenade in the bottom. You know, it's like... Oh! Now, we don't have special ops answering the door. we got Hannah and I, Michelle, and Azariah, so they open up the door. Yes? Uh, we're going to kill you. Okay. Uh, Daniel wants to talk to you, man. Daniel walks up. What did you say? We're going to kill you. Are you going to kill us? Tomorrow. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Why? Don't mean to, you know, buddy or anything, but why do you want to kill us? That's a reasonable question. I regard. Okay, King's going to kill you because no wise person, and you're a wise person, none of his astrologers, none of anybody that's a higher elite people can interpret a dream. And so, oh, and if that's all it is, tell him I'll interpret the dream tomorrow. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that changes all this killing kind of. Yeah, I guess we can. Sure. Okay. Thanks a lot, Daniel. We'll see you tomorrow. Daniel turns around. Hannah now, Michelle, and Azariah standing behind him. Whew. That sure is. I'm glad you know the dream. Daniel, I don't know the dream. I thought you told him you were going to tell him all. I am. Okay, Daniel, help us. I'm having trouble wrapping my mind around this. You're going to tell him the dream, but you don't know it. Right. When do you plan on knowing it? By in the morning. Well, how are we going to get it? Guys, we're going to pray a lot tonight. You ain't that... <laughs> yeah. oh, you mean we got to pray to get an answer? <laughs> Hannah and I, you going to pray? I will. Azariah, you want to pray with me? I will. Michelle? Michelle. Oh, God. He's already praying. He's down. He's down. Oh, God. Let Daniel know the dream. I don't want to die. Daniel goes, thanks for praying. It's nice to have friends that can pray with you. Take that away from this, too. If you say, I don't have anybody that can pray with me. They get down on their knees. They pray all night long. Next day, walk into that. Daniel, never get answer. Got the dream. Really? I haven't told you. I don't need it. Wow. Tell it to me. So he tells him the dream. He said one day, and you don't have to know all the dream, but uh, the king was said he was frightened. The king was so angry, he finally gets everybody in. Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, okay, let me speak clearly. 
And when the dream was revealed, this vision, Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes of them. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells in Him. So we have got... He says, I thank and praise you, God, the Father. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Verse 20. Then Daniel said to Arach, whom the king had appointed to execute the men of Babylon, I'm going to do this. I'm going to reveal the dream. Well, what was the dream? Well, King Nebuchadnezzar had had dreamed about this statue coming up. The statue was made of bronze. He really said, Nebuchadnezzar, one of these days you're knight and you're strong, you're powerful. One of these days you're, you're just going to fall over. And the Babylonian kingdom, it's going to be tough all because of your haughtiness and pride and because you're really an ugly old mean king. That didn't really go across the big, but so I'm going to be okay right now but as long as I get rid of my pride. Yeah. Here's how the response to that goes. The great God has shown the king what will take place. King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel, paid him, ordered him to be moved up in command. He made him one of his top three people and said, anything basically you ask, I'm going to reward you with. Thank you, Daniel. Good or bad right now? Good. Chapter 3 starts. King goes out, feeling pretty good, builds a big statue, 90 feet tall, 9 inches. Well, he tells everybody to bow down to it. King, man, he's just schizophrenic. He, he tells everybody to bow down to it. Now here comes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's their time to shine in the limelight. They come out. He says, everybody bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego goes, we're not going to bow down. Okay, we've got a problem over here again. And this calm, effort, easy-going king says, throw him in the fiery furnace. Okay, good. I'm glad we worked. You notice there's no in-between with this man? Throw him in the fiery furnace. So they heat the furnace up seven times hotter. The guards that are just opening the door to toss him in, oh, they get burned up just opening the door. You know how you are. Your mom preheats the oven and you don't know it. She goes, mm, 9,000 degrees. Okay. And then she says, would you put the pizza in? You go, sure, Mom. Ah! Eyebrows just fall off and stuff. And it's like, oh! That, that heat of that thing just blows right in your face. I've had that done on mistake before. Not a furnace. I lit my furnace, not a stove. I went in the basement and lit this match. Had the gas going. I heard gas is still going like this. I lit the next match and went. Oh, and it just seemed like it went right here. And I opened my eyes and I kept seeing black dots. You know, it was just dancing. I walked up the steps and it was still black dots. It's like, okay, it's not going away. I'm going blind here. And then I went to my wife and I said, you know, look me in the face here. And she said, you singed your eyelashes. They're, they're all little black balls hanging right out here just going like that. That's, that's the dot that you see. And I went... Now, if it singed my eyelashes, how close is that to making me blind? I don't like the furnace like that anymore. Honestly. You burn me once and... Oh, you know how that goes. Burn me once, lose an eyelash. Burn me twice, I won't light the furnace. Do these three people make it out? Yes. And guess what? The king again flip-flops to the other side and says, last part of chapter 3, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel to rescue his servants. They trusted in him. If you don't know that story, you really need to read Daniel chapter 3. When the king came down to check on his three people that he hoped would just be torched, he looked at it and he didn't see three, he saw four. 
And he said, the fourth is like the Son of God. I believe it was Jesus. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, I know that, but I believe he showed up actually on earth a few times and then we'd call that the incarnation. Yeah, the, I think the Son of God himself is taking care of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What was amazing about this story, they said, bring them out. He said, when they brought these three guys out of the oven, they never even smelt like smoke. Hair was not singed. Skin's great. Can't even smell smoke on you. And now the king again is reminded of God. Okay. He kidnaps these guys. He's mean. He respects Daniel. He's good. He makes out a decree that says, you know, interpret the dream. If you don't, I'll kill you. Daniel does. Now he's good again. It's back. It's good. It's back. It sounds like me and you sometimes. I mean to do good, but I can't. Then he says, okay, I'm going to build a giant statue. Now that we don't into the fiery furnace. They survive. Now he's good again. He said, does the king ever balance out? All right. Last thing, I'll tell you what happened about this king. He goes from bad to good to bad to good. I told you I'd tell you about a king gone wild. Here's the last part of chapter 4, and I can just tell it to you. Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He dreamed, and um, it talks about his great palace and great castle there. And King Nebuchadnezzar came out, and one day he looked over his castle, looks over his palace, looks over everything there, and he says, look at all this that I have built. And a prophet came to him and said, Nebuchadnezzar, you didn't build any of this. And it's only because God, you say, why would God bless or let someone like that? The Bible says God reigns on the just and the unjust. We might not like that. I mean, why does somebody like a Hugh Hefner who owns the Playboy Mansions and has the magazine of smut, why is he a multimillionaire? I don't know. What do you want God to do? Kill him? Well, yeah, but no, you can't do that. Well, he's an evil man. Hitler's an evil man. Why don't we just strike him with a lightning bolt sometimes? God doesn't work that way. Well, why does God let good things happen to bad people and it seems like bad things happen to good people? Well, let me tell you the instant answer to that. Why doesn't God use Hitler and the Hugh Hill? Why doesn't He use mean people? Because they're not His children. Read John chapter 10 one time when the good shepherd comes out and he says, My sheep will know my voice. So he's going to call on me to go through maybe a trial so the world will see. He calls on the Daniels and the Meshach. You get the idea. He's got to use his children. So he's about to use Daniel again. Now he speaks to the king and he says, King, I want you to be warned. This story of a king gone wild, he comes out on his palace, looks around, and here's what the story is. He looks and brags and says, Look at what I've done. The prophet comes up and says, Daniel interprets a dream that he's had and he says this, O king, accept my advice, this is in chapter 4, renounce your sins, do what is right, in other words, don't brag, ask forgiveness and realize that God has blessed you and He's in control. And if you don't, here's what's going to happen. God's going to turn you into an animal. You say, okay, you've lost me. All right, one more time. There's no one higher than this king. He's going to take this mighty, high-up, lifted king and bring you clear down to not even mere man. He's going to keep on going down, and he's going to make him an animal. He's going to make him with claws and feathers sticking out. And he's going to look like a beast, and he's going to chew the grass on the ground. And we're going to basically bring you clear up here to clear down here. But now, I will give you some time to change and repent, renounce your sins, or I'm going to really move in and I'm going to hurt you worse. 
How much time would be good for God to give this Nebuchadnezzar guy? A week. Some of y'all are very kind. A whole week. A day. Three days. One day. A minute. Okay, then you'll think that God, the Bible says God is not, here's what Second Peter 3, 9 says. God is not willing that what? Any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? And God is not slow keeping His promises. Like the world says, where's God? I thought Jesus was coming back. He's coming back. You can count on it. It's a promise. He's not mean. He's very patient. Well, the same thing here. Some of y'all said a week, a day or something. God gave him one year. Well, I guess he's changed then. Surely he come to his senses. Okay, I'll tell you this. Daniel chapter 4. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel has warned him. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for my glory and for my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from your people. You will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people. He ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew every morning until his hair grew out like feathers of an eagle. His nails were like the claws of a bird. And he's Roman. If anybody that would laugh, that's the king. Can you imagine introducing royalty now? There goes our king. There he went. The king! No. And he's so ashamed, it's sort of like another once upon a time story. He's went from the beauty of a king to a... Beauty of the king. Yeah, to the beast. It's beauty and the beast. Yeah. Tell us all this time. Yeah, that's it. So he's went from here to here, and the people are like, oh, well, does he change finally? Well, you know him. He goes from good, bad, good to bad, good to bad. Got good news. He finally ends up good. What do you look like? Let me show you this picture. This is drawn by uh, an artist. You can look this up on the internet if you would like. And he says, so this man looks like a man's face, but he looks like he's got claws and everything. That This is what he looked like? Why does God let us just about... You think you're good? The devil had pride and said, I'm going to be like God. He gets kicked out along with the third of the angels out of heaven. Right now he's probably reminding you. You think you can make it on your own, don't you? You can't. But I can do all things through Christ. What happens to the king? Not good news. Mm. At the same time, here's what he does. What did Daniel do in the belly of the whale? He finally came to his senses and prayed. What does king finally do? At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored, then I praised the Most High. I honored and I glorified Him who lives in heaven. And I said, His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases. 
He's God. With the powers of heaven, with the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back His hand and say to Him, what have you done? No one has a right to complain against God. And at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor was returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. So now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he will humble. Bible lessons for you pretty simple tonight. I hope you're not thinking, I can do this on my own. Whew. Now, are we going to be treated like Nebuchadnezzar? I didn't say that. Well, if so-and-so would change, or if this person... How about let's just deal with ourselves. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, and I'm going to finish here. Now, stop and think. No eyes looking at anybody else. All heads are bowed out of respect to the Lord that I'm going to pray to. But it's a simple lesson tonight. We've talked about good and negative. But some of y'all feel like that. You say, I think you're doing well, and then I fall flat on my face. Most of the time you fall because after you start doing well, you forget about God. Hey, I don't need God. Nebuchadnezzar is sort of like the same way. He'd go back and forth and back and forth. Paul says, I'm a miserable man. In Romans 7, 19, things I want to do, I don't. Things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, man, I'm miserable. Who's going to set me free? Jesus. Who set Nebuchadnezzar free? Yeah, that same Jesus that we know, God Almighty. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, tonight some people need to be set free. They seem like they start off, they might read a chapter in the Bible and do great, and then they drop off and they don't read for months. They'll go to church and then they'll get out of the habit of not going. So we often do the same thing as this king, so we can't really pick on him too much. We do good things and then we do awful things. We can be so kind to our brothers and sisters on one day and the next day words will come out of our mouth that we're embarrassed and ashamed of and we think, how did I say that? So Jesus, we're going to be miserable like Paul said unless we can just be set free. Now we're going to sin. That's just that old nature in us. But Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to sin less and less. There's people here right tonight that they want to do well and they're asking you, would you help them? Dear Jesus, look into every heart, whatever the age, whatever the size, person, young, old, right now you've got our attention. I pray that you'd speak to us as only you can. Would you forgive us of the things that we've done? And Jesus, help us to not be haughty and proud. Help us to instead be humble. You say you give grace to the humble. There's six things you hate. Yea, seven are an abomination. You said pride rolls right in there. You hate it when people act haughty and proud. So Jesus, I pray that we wouldn't be guilty of that tonight. Would you right now help us to swallow our pride and say, Jesus, I am wrong. You're right. Help me with those areas that I need to work on so desperately. And I can do it as long as I stay humble and seek you. In Jesus' name, amen.